appreciate that. And uh, praise the Lord. All right, take your Bibles tonight, if you will, and find the book of Acts, chapter number 19. The book of Acts, chapter number 19. Find that place, if you will. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. The usher will come bring one to you if you need a Bible tonight. We're all good. Pete's got his special Bible he hides over there. Amen, Pete? <laughs> I want to give us like an introduction before the message tonight, kind of lay a foundation before we get into our main topic. Uh, the wonderful thing about when we read the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, the epistles, uh, we can go back to the book of Acts and see the churches and a lot of their beginnings and the startings of those churches and what took place. So then when we, later on when we read the epistles, like the letter to the book of Ephesians, the letter to the church in Ephesus, we have a, a little understanding of what took place, how that church was established, what they went through, and then the letter has a lot more meaning to it. And we see how Paul, through the Holy Spirit of God, is encouraging and warning and discipling those believers. In Acts chapter number 19, the Apostle Paul and his missionary band, Silas, are uh, traveling. They've come to this coastal city of the city of Ephesus. It's a city uh, on the coast of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. You can go there today. You can visit there, and there's plenty of ruins to visit. And, uh, be encouraging and exciting to see it uh, and say this is where there was a church. Now, of course, Roman Catholicism claims a lot of places, but just to be there and say, you know, this is the city. This is the actual spot where Paul was. This is where the riots broke out. This is where the temple of, the, of Diana was and, 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 and feel the, the, the history of what God once did there. And so when we come to this chapter tonight, uh, again, this is, we're not talking about the history, but I want to and lay a foundation, and then we'll get really into the thought that I, Lord has laid upon my heart tonight for you. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful we can be here. We're thankful for the local church and those who are able to come out tonight. Many are ill and could not be here. We pray you'll touch them and continue to give healing and strength back to their bodies. And for us, Lord, who are here tonight we, and watching through the Internet, we pray that we'd be challenged, encouraged, and our faith would increase, and we'd draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. As we study these men and what took place in their lives and the persecution they faced, and yet it did not stop them from going forward to serve you. May we have such boldness, may we have such conviction, and may we have such compassion for lost sinners as these men did. We ask now for you to bless. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now again, this entire chapter, a lot goes on here in this chapter. And it is a city given over to idolatry. When we talk about idolatry, there was a temple there dedicated to uh, Diana. Now, uh, Diana is a, takes many forms throughout the course of history. And when you study these things, and again, it's not an encouraging study, and I wouldn't really encourage it too much. I, some things you just don't go delve too much into. You just kind of get a surface layer and you say, that's enough. And you move on because if you go any deeper, you start getting the, the, you know, the, the, the junk gets on you and you don't want that junk on you. Uh, I hope you understand what I'm trying to warn you about. But the Temple of Diana, again, it was a temple. The, 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 the statue of Diana, which I will not describe, is very grotesque. It, it was a, a fertility goddess. And when you understand that you're going to the temple to worship a fertility goddess and how she looks and all that goes on in the temple, it's like what we would label and what we, God calls a very immoral place. Very immoral in the ways they worship there at this temple. And so the city is given over and they could say that their city was a city that worshipped and adored Diana. And that was their main religion there in that, that city. Of course, Paul goes there and he, he brings the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and begins to reach them. And anytime you have false idols and false worship, 
Which really, my friend, if you're going to believe this book, all of that is nothing but Satanism. It's just Satan with another mask on, but it's the same it's the same thing. It's just pure Satanism. And when you get into this chapter, we see Paul dealing with demons and demon-possessed people and, and having to cast out demons and, and all kinds of things going on. Uh, he says in, in verse number 8, And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now again, to clarify, there was a synagogue every major Roman city did have a synagogue, so there was a population of Jews, and it was always Paul's uh, goal when he went into a city to enter into the synagogue, being a Jew himself, he had that right, and, and, and having the religious training, he could go in there, and his purpose was to read and to try to convince these Jewish people that Jesus was the Messiah. And it says in verse 9, when, when, when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil that way before the multitude, he departed from them and, and separated disciples and disputing in the school of Tyrannius. And he goes on, and other things happen here. Verse number 12, at the end there, it talks about, and evil spirits went out of them. So these people, again, had, uh, were demon-possessed, were possessed by evil spirits. And when you get involved in gross immorality, when you get involved in sin, if you're not saved, you expose yourself to demon possession. It says in verse number 13, Then certain of the vagabond Jews exorcist, and just because they're Jewish, by the way, doesn't mean that they're saved people. You can have a saved Jew and you can have a lost Jew. A Jew that believes Jesus to be the Messiah. And even a Jew that uh, has not heard about Jesus yet, but he wholly loves Almighty God. He wholly loves Jehovah God. But then there's some people who just wear a mask of religion, and yet they're very immoral and un indecent people. Verse 13 again, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them, and had evil spirits, the name of Jesus, saying, We adjure thee by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jew, and chief priest, which did also. And the, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And, and the men in whom the evil spirit leaped upon them, and overcame them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And so here these Jews are, seven of them, try to cast out a demon out of one man. And, uh, and I, I always find it fascinating that that demon speaks. And uh, as these Jews are saying, you know, come out of that man by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. The problem was these Jews didn't know Jesus. But they heard Paul say these things. And that evil spirit looks at them and says, you know, Jesus I know. Oh, we know him. And Paul we know. By the way, if you serve God and you love the Lord in order to encourage you and also put you on your edge, that the demons know who you are. The demons know who God's people are and they know who those who are causing problems to, the, to their kingdom, the demonic kingdom, are. And this one man leaps upon seven men and tears them to shreds, so much so that they run out of the house naked and wounded. He shreds them to pieces. All these things are going on. And of course, we see here in verse number 18, it says that many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. And many of them which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before the men. They counted the price of them about 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Now people say, you Christians are book burners. We don't, we're not book burners in the sense that we, we don't get rid of knowledge. But there's bad books, we get rid of them. We should not have them. If there's something perverted in your house, you get rid of it. If there's something promoting Satanism, you get rid of it. If there's something evil in your house, you get rid of it. You don't need that influencing you in your house or influencing somebody else in your home. Uh, many a person has gone bad because they found something in their house that belonged to their father and that their dad should not have had in their house. Every father needs to be careful of what is allowed to come into their home and which they may expose their children to. And these people had come to know Christ and there were books there which taught them about the ways of Diana, books which taught them about uh, Satanism and, and, and casting spells and all these other things. They said, you know what, we're saved now. We're going to clean up. We're going to get rid of the tarot cards. We're getting rid of the Ouija boards. We're getting rid of the horoscopes. We're getting rid of all of those things. Anything that promotes evil and witchcraft and Satanism, we're not going to have in our house because it's not going to do me any spiritual good to have these things. And so they got rid of those things. Now, 
the story goes on and things are happening. And it says in verse 23, And at the same time there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, uh, brought no small gains unto the craftsmen, whom he had called together the workmen of like occupation. Says, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you, you see here and that not alone in Ephesus, but also throughout all of Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying, They be no gods which are made with hands. <laughs> That's a good statement to have said about you. What's that mean? That means Paul has led many people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And they've given up their wicked ways. And so Demetrius, this silversmith, whose main occupation is making shrines and statues of Diana to sell. And, and the Bible says he doesn't make a small gain. Which the Bible, that's the Bible way of saying he gets rich off of this. This man makes a lot of money selling these shrines and these golden idols and these silver idols uh, to the people. And now all of a sudden the sales are down because people are getting born again by the Spirit of God. And it's hurting his bottom line. By the way, you want to stir up the lost world? They don't mind us having church, but when we start hurting their pocketbooks, that's when they'll get upset. When, they, when the bars start closing down and when the, and the drug sales start going down and, 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 and the graft and, and the briberies go down, uh, then the politicians will get upset about the Christians in the community all of a sudden unless they get born again themselves. And so here we see that they are upset about what's going on. False gods, by the way, do not bring salvation. They never have and they never will. And so this Demetrius begins to stir up the people in the city of Ephesus against Paul and the rest of the Christians. And the next thing you know, they all gather into the city square. And, and it says in verse 28, when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion, having called Gaius and architects, men of Macedonia, Paul's companion, travel. And they rushed one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in, the people, the disciples suffered him not. And so again, they've captured some Christians. They drag them into this amphitheater uh, before the court system. And, uh, and the, the court, this amphitheater begins to fill up with the crowd in the city. And, and, and it gets very ugly. And mobs are always ugly. Do, never, do not get involved in a mob mentality. Don't follow the crowd. We see that all the time. We see the mob is now burning down France. We see mobs have burned down our cities throughout the years. In fact, uh, this is the anniversary, the 160th anniversary of uh, the Battle of Gettysburg. This is the second day's battle. Tomorrow will be the third day's battle of Gettysburg 160 years ago. But one of the worst riots to ever hit the United States of America took place after the Battle of Gettysburg, which took place in New York City when the, basically, uh, no offense to anybody, but it was amongst the Irish began to, to riot and burn and kill and, and hang people there. And troops had to be rushed from Gettysburg battle-worn troops to, to New York City to quell the rebellion as most of New York City was laid in ashes and, and, and many were killed in the riots that took place because somebody started uh, uh, this, this mob to go off. We've seen mobs in 2020. We see mobs all the time going off. Be careful of the mob mentality. God gave you a brain. He wants you to think and use it and just don't follow blindly what people are doing. But that's what's happening here. It's satanic. It's demonic. And Alexander, verse 33, And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned with hands and would have made his defense unto the people. But when the people knew that he was a Jew, and with all voice, the space of two hours, cried, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And for two hours, they cry out in this demonic frenzy, uh, of worshiping their goddess. Alexander tries to stop, and I want you to notice, by the way, verse 34, but when they knew that he was a Jew, they always won. And by the way, that was a racial attack. This man is not a, a, a man of our area. This man is not a, a man of Asia Minor. He's a Jew. And we know how those Jews are. And, and they began to shout at these racist and vile attacks upon Alexander, who was a Jew, but he was also a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that he was not a worshiper of Diana 
made him evil in their minds, and so they began this chant for two hours in this demonic frenzy. By the way, anytime you see mobs, they're always chanting, and they've always got a demonic chant. You saw mobs, by the way, last week, naked, marching up and down streets all over America and Canada, and, and, and screaming their godless chants in their pride, which God hates the sin of pride. God despises pride. And, and it's this pride is the sin of Satan, and pride leads to every other sin, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And they've chosen a name for their sin that God puts his judgment upon. But they were chanting in the streets, just like these people are chanting. And so we see this city. We understand the mentality. We know where these people have come out of. They've come out of Diana worship. They've come out of gross immorality. They've come from dark places in their life. They've come from places where they've given themselves over to Satanism and, and the worship of Satan. They've burned their, their, their former Satan things and, and they're cleaning up their lives. And so when Paul writes to the church in the, in the book of Ephesians in chapter number 1, I encourage you to find in your Bibles tonight the book of Ephesians. I want us to see some things in the time we have tonight on this topic. I, even give, I have not given you the title of my message yet. I have just laid the foundation for where we're going right now. In the book of Ephesians, Paul is addressing these people in that city who grew up in that culture, who came out of that lifestyle. By the way, God's in the saving business. He's not in the business of saving just nice sinners who stole a pencil on occasion or got mad at a driver and cursed him out. He's in the business of saving bad, wicked, vile, no good sinners who were involved in all kinds of sin before Jesus showed up. The Apostle Paul said he was the chief of sinners. Now again, we don't know a whole lot what Paul was doing. We know he was a murderer. But other than that... What makes you a chief of sinners? Well, we can only wonder what that good religious man was once doing before Jesus showed up in his life. So God's in the same... When people say, well, God don't save them people. God saves anybody who'll call upon him. God's in the saving business. I read this book. I find some bad people in this book. I read church history and I see a lot of bad people in church history that God put his hand on and saved their life and changed their life. People come out of all gross sin and, and all kinds of crazy, but God saved them. Sometimes people get saved and they, they, their lives change, but sometimes the damage has been done. When I was in Bible college, there was a guy there. I saw him. He was a tall fella. Rene will remember him. He was a tall fella, good-looking guy, blonde hair, big guy. And uh, I walked up to, and introduced myself to him. And as soon as he began to talk, I said, something's wrong with this guy. Now, long story short, Jim was in Bible college. He was taking one credit per semester because Jim had previously burnt his mind out on drugs. And so Jim was not all there. But Jim had enough brains left in his head that he knew he needed Jesus Christ, and Jim got saved. And Jim, uh, Jim was a soul winner, and Jim would witness to everybody and tell everybody about Jesus Christ. And every time there was preaching going on in church, you can always hear Jim in the front row yelling, Amen! 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 And when the invitation was given, Jim was always down at the front weeping and shedding tears and asking God to help him. But I remember God saved Jim. But the damage had already been done in his life. But God's in the saving business. I thank God for that. So Paul's talking to these people. He's encouraging these believers here in this city. They're still living in that city. The still, city still worships Diana. The temple is still down there. Some of their family members are still involved in temple worship down there. Some may be good religious Jewish people, but they're still lost. And he says, and you, in verse number 1 of chapter number 2... And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin, where in times past, knows verse 2, by the way, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. I want you to notice several things there in that one verse, my friend, what God says about us, that in times past, he's telling the Ephesians, and I want it applies to all of us here tonight, before you got saved, before you came to Christ, you walked according to the course of this world. 
Whatever the world said you have to listen to, you listen to. Whatever the world said you have to watch, you watch. Whatever the world said you have to dress like, you dress like it. I was my own man. No, you did everything they were doing. You mocked the things of God. You had no use for the things of God. You walked according to the course that this world set. What's the latest fashion? What's the latest trend? What's the latest thing we're doing? What's the latest sin? What's the latest level of stupidity? Listen, a few years ago, kids were eating Tide Pods and they were making fun of them. And I thought back to when I was a teenager and I think of the stupid things we were doing back then. I won't tell you what we were doing, but we were doing stupid things back then. We were sniffing stupid things. Not me, but other friends were sniffing stupid things. Just because we're doing Tide Pods, listen, there, we, we had other things back then. Stupidity always there. You've got to try this. Why? Yeah, and you won't believe what it'll do to you and the buzz it's going to give you. Now, I don't know what a po- Tide Pod does to you, but I'm just letting you know that stupid's always been there because the world says, this is how you do it. And off they go. Off they go. He says, you walked according to course of the word, according to the prince and power of the air. My friend, we all like to think we're free individuals. My friend, you're nothing but a puppet. And you just can't see the strings that are on you as your puppet master, Satan, controls you and tells you what to do and whispers in your ear and leads you on how you're to talk and think and everything else. And he says that that spirit that you once had is now working in the children of disobedience. My friend, don't hate the world. Just because they're out there being crazy. I'm not happy with those parades last week, but I don't hate them. People wish them death. They are walking according to the course of this world. Ten years ago, they would have said, a lot of people that are out there now, they would have, what? Operate and mutilate children and, and change a child's gender? That's crazy. But now they say, well, I guess it's okay. Because why? They're walking according to the course of this world. They're doing what the world tells them to do. And now... Where did they get that from? Why are they doing it? Well, it's the spirit of Satan. The, the prince and power of the air that works in the children disobedience. If you're not a child of God, you're a child of disobedience. Controlled, You say, oh, I, Satan doesn't control me. <laughs> That's satanic right there. We need to be controlled by God. So we see what they did. Paul's talking about how you got saved in verse number 1. And God changed you. And he tells them what they used to be like. You guys were down there at that temple. You guys were doing all that crazy foolish stuff. You guys uh, had all that immorality. You guys were involved in all kinds of wickedness and darkness. Verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh. By the way, that conversation means lifestyle. What was your lifestyle in times past in the lust of, the, of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others? The world and its people do exactly what Satan tells them, and it's all, their whole goal is to fulfill the lusts of their flesh, the desires of their flesh. You see this all the time with people, people doing things that damage themselves, people things that uh, uh, will oppose themselves. Taking drugs, my friend, will not help you with those things. The alcohol will not help you with those things. Tobacco will not do you any good. Vaping will not do you good. All of those things are meant to oppose you. They're hurting you. You say, well, you, you're a holy role. No, I'm not a holy I just know that those things are opposing you, and you're just doing something that's going to hurt yourself. Vice is always bad. No vice is ever going to make you better, and no vice ever built a great nation. Vice has always destroyed nations. Always. So we see he's laid out for us. All these things. You were saved, but this is who you once were and what you did. And and why did you do those things? Verse number 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, where he hath loved us. I want you to see the message tonight is simply two words. But God. But God. These are the things you used to do. This is how you used to act. This is where you used to go. And this is what you used to say. And the only thing that made the difference, my friend, is but God showed up. But God arrived. And God changed your life. Zacchaeus used to be a cheat and a thief and a liar. But Jesus showed up. The woman at the well was immoral and, 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 and bankrupt. But Jesus showed up. 
And Nicodemus was a moral and righteous man in his own eyes. But one day Jesus showed up, but God. And my friend, if it wasn't for God, if it wasn't for but God showing up, where would we be? That, my friend, is salvation. We would all be lost if it were not for God sending somebody to tell us. Anytime anybody ever gave you a gospel tract, my friend, that was, that was a but God situation. Anytime you went to church and heard the gospel, that was a but God situation. God intervening, God putting roadblocks, God trying to get your attention. And God sent His missionary servants into that city to face all manner of wicked. I don't go there. They're, those people are perverts and wicked and godless. Let's find a good moral city where we can go to and reach them with Jesus. I'm glad Paul never did that. He always jumped right into the most wicked of places. Corinth was bad and, and Ephesus was bad. They're all bad. Because why? They didn't have God. Where there's no God, it's going to be bad. But God. But God. I like that. Where would we be were it not for God? Praise God for His why, who's, who's rich in mercy. We were joking about mercy with the girls on uh, giving Ethan the pie in the face in our vacation Bible school. Now we can joke about that. We know Ciela has no mercy, except maybe on that cat of hers. And the, the, you still got them birds? Yes. So she's got mercy there. But no mercy for Ethan, amen? <laughs> and she's proud of it. She's a sweet little thing. <laughs> but God, my friend, God's rich in mercy. God's rich in mercy. My friend, anytime you need something from God, don't ask it because you deserve it. You don't deserve anything. You go to God and say, God, I know you're a merciful God, and this would be a blessing if I can have this because we need this for mercy's sake. God has plenty. I mean, he's rich. He's rich. He's rich in mercy. We all may know some rich people. I know rich people and some of the cheapest people on planet Earth. You couldn't get a dime out of them people. That's why they're rich, I think. They don't give any of it away. Say, preacher, why are you broke? Whatever I get, I usually give away. My friend, God is rich, and yet He keeps giving it out. He wants to give it out. He's trying to give it away. And His mercy, my friend, is salvation. God's rich in mercy. It's not just a small amount reserved for a few precious few, but there's enough to go around. There's enough to take care of everybody for those who want it. With He's rich in mercy for His great love. Wherein he loved us. God's not only rich in mercy, but what kind of love does God have? He has a great love. A great love. I don't think human beings fully understand truly what a great love is. We, we love, we care, we have deep emotions, but our love is, is... Somebody made a statement the other day, I forget where I heard it, but it's not love un, until it's... Until, uh, it's received or something. Listen, love is love. Love requires nothing. You just love somebody. And you don't need it to be wonderful it was reciprocated, but it doesn't have to be reciprocated. It loves. God loves. And oftentimes God's love is not reciprocated back to Him. But God's love is there. And how is God's love demonstrated? Well, by, by Christ. But even when we were dead in sins, hath He quickened us together with, with Christ and by grace are ye saved. And he's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. My friend, the half has not been told. The Queen of Sheba got on her caravan, made her way to visit Solomon. She was going to test him with all her wisdom. She brought her gifts and, and everything and treasures, and she presented all those to Solomon, and she tested him with her, and to see the wisdom of him. She saw his palace. She saw his servants. She saw her buildings. He saw all those things, and she uttered, The half has not been told about you, Solomon. Well, my friend, we have one greater than Solomon. I'm telling you, the half has not been told of all that awaits those of us. Oh, it's a great ride right now. People say, you know, we sing the, I love the song, It Will Be Worth It All When We See Jesus. I love that song. But can I encourage you, though? It, it, it's worth it now. I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus, and I understand it's going to be, it, it, this will seem like nothing, but it's worth living the Christian life now. Oh, this is so horrible living the Christian life. I can't wait for Jesus to show up and make it worth it. No, I'm enjoying it. God's been good to me. 
And, and God's blessed me. I don't know how, but why? But God's just been good to this sinner, and God saved my life. It's, it's worth it now. Don't, don't just be a mope. Don't be a schlepprock and wait for it to get better. Some of you have no idea who schlepprock is, but maybe one or two of you old people around here might know who that is. The guy from a cartoon when I was a kid, always depressed. He was like the, the Flintstones cartoon when they were teenagers. When Pam, Bam Bam and Petals were teenagers, always walked around, had a black cloud over his head all the time with like rain and thunderbolts and just walked around depressed and Hey, Schlepprock, how you doing? Wowsy, wowsy, woo, woo. That's, that's all he ever said. Wowsy, wowsy, woo, woo. That's like a lot of Christians I know. How you doing? Praise God. Wowsy, wowsy, woo, woo. I can't wait to see Jesus. But in the meantime, this is horrible. See ya. <laughs> you got, no, I ain't having no Debbie Downer dragging me down. Take your wet blanket and sell it somewhere else. It's worth it now. Why? Because God's been good to us. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Beat that. I got a mansion in the Hamptons. I got a mansion in glory. <laughs> I don't have to pay no taxes on it either. No one's trying to take it away from me. It's worth it now. But God, but God, my friend, but God, where would you be? Were it not for but God? Think of the day you got saved and what God did to you to save you. What did God, but God did all that. God showed up. God was working on you, trying to show you you need Him. You need him. Take your Bible and look, if you will, at 1 Corinthians. We're going to leave these folks for a little bit. Go look at another bunch of folks who came out of all kinds of crazy and still in a little bit of crazy. And Paul's trying to address them in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Sometimes we think God can't use us. God only used the, the, the highly intellectual, the, the, the certain groups of people, and, and uh, we've got to meet a criteria. Well, I, I encourage you tonight. There's a lot here in verse 18 for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. You know, there's a lot of folks out there tonight watching baseball games and doing all kinds of stuff. They're at parks and lakes and down the shore. It's a holiday weekend. They're all down there getting drunk on their boats and their skis and doing all kinds of stuff. They're all living it up. And, and you, you're in a holiday weekend on a church on Sunday night. That's, what are you talking about? We're, we're talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. But the preaching of the cross to them that is perish is foolishness. But unto us which are saved, my friend, it's the power of God. It's the power of God. You, the world doesn't know anything about power. Men want to uh, uh, become president of the United States. Some wait all their entire life to become president of the United States. By the time they get there, they got full-blown dementia. And, and, and they're, they're, they're up there. They don't know anything. Yelling, God save the queen. It's like, well, what in the world? What queen are we talking about? I thought she died. They got their power. My friend, the power is the power of God that saves sinners. And God says, it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the dispute of this world? Hath not God made the foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. For it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. People say, you, you guys have preaching at your church? Yes, we have preaching. We're not very good at it, but we, we, we have preaching here. I, 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 that, I, that intimidates me. I'd rather have we have a little group study than, than go somewhere else. Because God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. Not foolish preaching, but the idea of a man standing up, man, man, standing up and preaching the word of God. For the Jews, he says, require a sign, the Greeks after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, a stumbling block, under the Greeks, foolishness. But under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, not how many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but there's that phrase again, verse 22, but God, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. My friend, how did God destroy Egypt? He did it with a stick. <laughs> He destroyed Egypt with a man and a stick. Didn't need armies. How did God destroy the city of Jericho? Just a bunch of people marching 
and some trumpets. How did God take out Goliath? He found a boy with a slingshot. How did God destroy the Gibeonites? He found a, a, a scared-to-death Gideon to blow a trumpet and break some glass pitchers. My friend, God chooses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. God always is losing. We need to feed a bunch of people. We've got 5,000 people. How are we going to feed them? There's that little boy over there with one little bag lunch. Let's get him. The foolish things. The disciples, that's not enough. You just give it to me. It'll be, we'll do just fine. I guarantee you. But God, but God, my friend, we have our salvation in but God. But my friend, your service to God, God is but God. You say, I'm not much. I don't have much. I don't think I'm much. I'm not that smart. My friend, you just give it to God. You'd be amazed what God can do with it. You'd be amazed how God can work. I have a little book upstairs. I encourage you to buy it. It's on Amazon. You can go get it. It's called They Found the Secret. It's just short little biographies of, of great men and women and what they did. And an evangelist name, whose name I forget, was an Irishman, and he got saved, but he was scared to death to witness, scared to death to tell people about Jesus, and terrified of, of publicly professing Christ to other people. And one day a Salvation Army band came down the street, and in that band was a man they called Daff. Jimmy. That's an Irish expression for basically saying he was, Jimmy was a little nuts. Daff Jimmy. And in the book he says Jimmy didn't have enough brains to get a headache, but he had enough sense to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And it, God convicted me so much seeing that Jimmy could be out there banging that drum and talking about Jesus, and here I am. And they dragged me out into that middle of that Salvation Army band and I wish the ground would have opened up and swallowed me up as I was so embarrassed to be out there. But God worked on my heart. My friend, God used a daft Jimmy to change that preacher's life around and become a great preacher, an evangelist in Ireland. God is always using the weak things. But God, don't ever think you cannot be used by God. Jesus says if you just have a glass of water in your hands, that's all I need is somebody to have a glass, just give it to me and watch what we can do with that glass of water. There's Shamgard in the Bible. All he had was an ox goad, and God can do something with it. All Elisha had was, a, was Elijah's mantle, and God did something with it. God always just looking for somebody. What do you have? What do you got on you? Oh, I don't got much. I got this. It's perfect. We'll use it. When I started my life, I told Jesus, Jesus, you ain't getting much here. I like to tell people I graduated in the top half of my high school class, and I did. I was in the top half of my class. Now, I forget the actual number, but to give you a better example of it, there was like 500 kids graduating in our class, and I was number 249. So I was in the top half of my class. When the, my guidance counselor told me that, I'm like, who in the world is behind me? And, and what box of crayons are they using? But I made it in the top half of my class only because I was lazy and a bum. My friend, understand something. God wants to use us. Go with me, if you will, to Psalm 73. So for God, my friend, it's salvation, but God. For our service, it's but God. And do we need strength in our service? Well, we got one for that, too, in Psalm 73. You know, sometimes we get discouraged in Christianity. We look at all that's going on in the world. We see all these people out there, and we think, man, alive, what's going on? What, what, is God see this? Is, is God paying attention? We've got George Soros running around. We've got this one running around. God, when are you going to do something? And, and, and the psalmist is upset. The psalmist is, is getting aggravated about all this. He says, verse 1, But truly God is good to Israel, even to such of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had nigh slipped. For I was envy of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. My friend, if you're not careful, and it's easy to do, to get jealous of the prosperity of wicked people, how come they got all the money? How come they, got, how come they get two, three houses? How come they got all these places? Where, how come they got the nice cars, and you're, and you're praying to God every morning, your car starts? Or it's out there when you show up. <laughs> and you get envious, and he goes on talking about all these things, and, and God, and he got all these people there, nothing bad ever happens to them. And here I'm over here, and everything bad happens to me. I don't understand this, God. He says in 
But he said, verse 16, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until, by the way, until. It all depends where you live, by the way. If you live outside these doors, you'll get depressed and discouraged. You live in this world, but have your nose in this book. It'll change your outlook. His outlook changed in verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. You see, when you understand, my friend, that we're all on a conveyor belt and everybody's getting dumped off into eternity. And some people's eternity is not going to be good. Most of them, folks, don't be jealous because they got the nice house because that's the only house they're ever going to have. They won't have what you have in your eternity unless God saves them. And he goes on talking about how God did this. I like verse 25. You ought to mark this in your Bible. It applies to you if you're saved. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire but thee. My friend, you need to learn that this book is sufficient. God is sufficient. You don't need to have all it in the bank. You, need to, you don't need to have connections down at the White House or any state house. You need God. You just need God to show up. Whom have I in heaven but thee? God, I got God. Well, I, there are, people like to drop names. Well, I know so-and-so. I know no. Well, who do you know? I know God. <laughs> I'm just talking to him. <laughs> We're doing pretty good. He likes me. In fact, he loves me. He told me so. In fact, he's, he's preparing a place for me. And he's going to take me there one day. And uh, it's going to be a great day, my friend. Whom have I in heaven? And there's none that I... This doesn't mean we shouldn't desire to fall in love and have each other. But my friend, understand really at the end of the day, I want to love God. I want to love God. I want to have a love for God. Verse 26 is, again, the key text. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God... But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My friend, if, I, if I've focused on this world, if I've fixated on what this world is doing and all its crazy and all its insanity, and, and all, if I, one guy on Facebook, I'm so scared to death of North Korea. I'm like, I'm not. I'm worried about this Ukraine situation. I'm not. I'm worried about our country. I'm not. Why? But God. But God. I have God. I read the book. I know this whole thing goes south. <laughs> I know this, this, is all, this is all headed towards an antichrist. I, all, I know this is all heading towards a one world government. Stop trying to make it Mayberry and, and start getting people in the lifeboats. Start telling people about Jesus and getting them saved. Because we're not saving this world. Jesus is going to burn it up one day. But God is my strength. When I have God, God encourages me. David said he encouraged himself in the Lord. He's his strength. God, But God is our salvation. But God is our service. But God is our strength. And I'll give you one more and we'll close tonight. In, in chapter number 77. By the way, there's a lot of but gods in your Bible. I'm just giving you uh, four of them tonight. You want to do a Bible study? Just search but God. And you'll encourage yourself. A lot of bad things happening all of a sudden, but God. They're about to kill Moses, but God shows up. <laughs> Enemy's about to come over the wall, but God shows up. Got a hundred, several hundred thousand Assyrians outside your city ready to come in and kill you, but God shows up. It's always good when God shows up. I always like it. <laughs> someday he's going to show up one day and it's going to change real quick around. The, anti, the armies of the Antichrist are going to march one day. But God's going to show up and melt them. Just letting you know. You don't need to watch Steven Spielberg and, and, and Indiana Jones melt Nazis. God's going to melt, melt, melt an Antichrist one day. Evan and I were talking one day. He says, Dad, you, you like Indiana Jones too? I said, that's eh, kind of far-fetched. He goes, oh, but melting Nazis is realistic. Like, it can happen. <laughs> it can happen. <laughs> Someday God's going to melt an antichrist. So it's, it's, it's possible. <laughs> Do you remember that conversation? <laughs> but God. Amen. But God. I know. Uh, that's my favorite scene, by the way. Quiet here. God's, God's getting ready to melt Nazis. This is good right now. Shh, shh. This is good. I like this scene. <laughs> 
But our cell phones need to be quiet. Amen. And in Psalm 77, in, in these verses here, he says in verse 6, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with my own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. By the way, when you can't sleep at night, you know what you're doing. So maybe God got you awake for a reason. You know, so I got a case of insomnia. Well, the best thing for insomnia is to sleep it off. But, but if you can't do that, is you, is you uh, lay there and talk to God. The devil, see that devil, devil will knock you out. Oh no, he's, he's praying. So I just lay there sometimes and uh, I just, well, Lord, here we are, 2 o'clock in the morning, wide awake. I'm physically exhausted, but here I am. So all right, here's what we need, Lord. And I just talk to Jesus all night until I pass out. But God, so I'm calling on God in the night season. I commune on my own heart and the Spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast upon I want you to notice there are six questions in here. And I, I put numbers next to each one of them. Will the Lord cast off forever? And what's the answer? No. And will he be favorable? No more? Well, of course not. Is his mercy clean gone forever? No. Doth his promise fail evermore? Not at all. Hath God forgotten to be gracious? <laughs> I don't think so. Hath he in his anger shut up the tender mercies? Selah? No. So here's the man laying on his bed and he's thinking, I'm going through a rough time. And he asked these six things, and they're all ridiculous. Maybe God's forgotten about me. Maybe God has no more mercy. Maybe God's... Maybe... Verse number 10. And I said, this is mine infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. Now it doesn't say, but God. But what's he say? But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. My friend, you need to remember what God's done for you in the past. God never changes. And if he did for it in the past, God will bring you through whatever you're going through. But God will remember. Remember the good times. Remember what God did for you. Remember what God did for you in your past. Your past is to be your teacher. Your past is to be your instructor. God got me through that episode. And God will get me through this episode. Don't believe that God's done with you and he's cast you off. No, that's ridiculous. Why? Because we know from the scripture God is what? Rich. And what? Mercy. God just hanging you out there for a little bit to strengthen you up and test your faith. We were in school and the teacher said, I'll give everybody an A for the marking period. You can walk out of here today with an A and never come back to my class ever again. But if you fail and don't do this, or if you do this and fail, you get an F for the marking period. All you have to do is take two books and for the next 40 minutes... Stay like this for 40 minutes. We all thought about it, all in our youth and our strength. and our, we're, we're in shape, and we're going to do this. And some of you tonight are going to be out there holding books up to see if you can do it. They're a little heavier than these ones. I think it was our history books. Just hold these books for the next 40 minutes while I teach in the front. Your arms can't be sagging and going down. they got to stay up, and, and you'll pass. I said, forget that. I'll sit here and do the class and get up what I got to do for 40 minutes except sit here in this class. I didn't do it. Nobody else did it. But he made that offer, I guess, probably to every, other, every class that ever came through there. Well, my friend, we remember our strength. We remember all the things we did. And, uh, but my friend, understand something. We remember what God is our strength. God is our portion. God's the one who helps us. Remember what God did for you. So in your life, my friend, think what God did for those Ephesians. But God showed up in that pagan city. And then people got saved. We got a book out of, from, out of the Bible out of it. But God is enabling you in your service. You're not sufficient to get the job done. But God is. But God is. When you grow weak and you grow weary and you grow discouraged... Stay in the book. But God is your source of encouragement. And when we are frightened and times are tough and we're in a stage of depression where we can't see no light and nothing around us, but God 
has always been your strength, and God is not going anywhere. My friend, but God. It's but God. It's always been but God. But don't ever forget, in your life, whatever what you're going through, no matter how bad today may be or how bad tomorrow, you can always say, you know, when God shows up, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change. It's going to change. I told you a story before, and it's not a good story, but it's a story nonetheless. I told you my brothers had a friend. His name was Stuart, Stuart McKinley. Naira knows him. They called him. His name was Stu. Stu had a big beard down to here. Stu was probably like six foot eight, six foot six. He's a mountain of a man, big guy, just a, a monster of a man, he, big and strong. He wasn't big. He was powerful, powerful man. He wrestled a bear at a, at a, at a, at a fair my brothers all went to when I see he's out there wrestling a, a bear. Big man. My brother took me to Giant Stadium in 1976. I'm only in sixth grade. We were at the Giant Stadium. My brother got drunk at the game. And we lost to, to I forget, probably either Philadelphia or, or Dallas. I forget which team it was, two teams we hate. And my brother started mouthing off with a bunch of other drunks. And they're going back and forth. And I'm there. I'm getting nervous because there's like four of them and only my brother and me. And these guys got... My brother said something. They all started coming at my brother. Stu was behind us, but he was a few yards back. And he came walking up behind us. And he goes, you guys got a problem? And then, no, we're, we're fine. We're, we're all good. And they walked away. I'm like, problem? Come on. Why? Because I got mad mountain bean behind me, six foot eight of pure muscle, ready to take out the trash. I'm like, you guys, I didn't think you had a problem. Why? Because I had him. My friend, <laughs> greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But God. But God. Let's stand together for prayer. <laughs> well, Lord, we're thankful we can be here. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the source of encouragement we find from Scripture this evening. Where would we be were it not for you? And your great blessings and your love, wherein you have loved us. Thank the Lord that the gospel goes out to men and women all over the world.